Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Gators Breakdown, episode 141, is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SDC. Joining me on this episode, as he does on most episodes of Gators Breakdown, is co-host Will Miles. You can find him at readandreaction.com. That's his website there where you can find his articles. And also you can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSCC. Will, how's it going? Hey, man, I'm out of my undisclosed bunker location down in uh, central <laughs> Florida, back up in Philly. So uh, the, the noise has died down. People are no longer threatening me. And uh, actually, that's not true. I, I can't say that anymore because if you make jest about that, if you make light about people threatening you, then uh, you might be cast in the same light as the Gators' former head coach. So, nah, I mean, it's, it's, it's all, all good fun. But, uh, yep, back up in Philly, back with the family. So everything's good. So if I ask you about being threatened, will you just like completely drop it and not talk about it again like the former coach did? No, we all and know like- I can't stop talking. So <laughs> <laughs> it's never a problem getting an opinion out of me, which is usually part of the problem. But <laughs> but no, I will uh, I will I will certainly retweet the things that people have said. It's it's always entertaining. Yeah. Well, apparently well, we found out before this episode that I'm a doppelganger for uh, one Nick Calathis. Hey, I, you know, I, I don't know how people could mistake you for him because, I mean, you're clearly taller. <laughs> it's got to be the bald head. That's the only thing I can think of. And, Man, and, I, I and, encourage and people. I encourage people to go find that article on Twitter and click on it because I didn't. I was, you know, I remember Calathis at Florida when he still had hair yeah. and you know looked relatively. Uh, R- relatively young looking yeah, yeah. guy and and man they showed that picture it's not that far off man it's yeah. it's not that far off so. yeah so some follower out there brought it up and i was like no there's no way because i still thought he had hair as well and the next thing i know he's bald and uh we uh i, I guess there's some similar features out there so. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's worth taking a look at if you're a fan of the show that's for yeah, sure that is uh, yeah true uh we also, you know, Gators Breakdown has always prided itself on, on being a fan's podcast. And last week, uh, we asked our listeners out there to send questions that they had about the program after spring practice. And uh, we've been getting a lot of questions anyway. Uh, and we worked on, you know, we worked out some of those topics in, in previous shows. But I was letting this episode be built on questions from our listeners. So thanks to the listeners and followers for sending those in. 
No, definitely. I mean, that's what makes this fun is all the engagement and, and the civil disagreements. That's always fun too. I mean, I have no problem with people pointing out that I'm wrong and, and quite honestly coming at me with data that makes me rethink my position and usually makes the articles that I write better. So, you know, really, really appreciate everybody out there who, uh, who contributes. And, and like you said, this is, we, we consider this the fans podcast and, and want to make sure that they feel like they're a part of it as much as, as much as we are. Yeah, and talking about fans and uh, followers and stuff. Uh, also, a shout out to uh, Christopher and James Coots. Uh, I met those guys. Met those guys uh, at Welcome to Rockville this past weekend uh, here in Jacksonville. So uh, it's great to see our listeners uh, and actually get the chance to meet them uh, from the spring game uh, to this past weekend uh, here in Jacksonville. You know, it's fun to to personally pers- personally interact out there. Uh, so next time you're in town, Will, uh, for a game, we'll, we'll definitely have to set something up so you can. Uh, yeah, actually, yeah, she met uh, one last week when you were in Orlando. I did. I met Sean Steed, and we had a we had a good time. And he he's made some uh, he made a Gators breakdown cup for all of us, so he delivered that to me. And you know, really sort of appreciate people who uh, who go the extra mile and 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 reach out. So um, you know, yeah, anytime I'm in Gainesville, or actually anytime I'm in Florida, I'd love to meet up with people who listen to the show and and have a discussion about the Gators, and, <laughs> and they can tell me how I'm wrong. <laughs> Uh, so like I said, we did get some questions, but remember, before we dive into that, you can find all your Gators Breakdown episodes on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you will find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. That's newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Also, you can listen on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube if you want the video version. Follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. And look, when you use those services, like iTunes, Google Play, and Google Play, please rate and review the show. Uh, so, Will, the couple, the the question we got and it's kind of repeated, but in a in a different form, comes from uh, two of our listeners, Lucas Mann and uh, and, and Just. Uh, I'm going to say it's at Bahan Style, but uh, you know, Twitter names are kind of tricky sometimes. But that's the, that's what it looks like to me. Uh, so, from Lucas, it's when do you guys think Emory starts his first game? And Justice's question was, do you think the quarterback that starts the season will finish the season as the starting quarterback? So we got two questions you know, relating to the quarterback position there. And uh, I guess just generally, uh, we'll start, you know, do you think the quarterback that starts the season will finish the season as a starting quarterback? Uh, and that kind of does play into Emory Jones a little bit. If you think the route of Kyle Trask or Felipe Frank starting the season those neither one of those guys really lighting the world on fire, neither one getting the job done. Uh, and then somewhere maybe you know, a few games in mid midpoint of the season, uh, Dan Mullen just decides to throw Emory Jones out there. As we know, he he's the, the, the quarterback that seems to fit this system uh, the most. If he can get his feet wet and his legs under him, understand the offense some more, uh, be more than just a run threat, be a threat by throwing the ball in the air. I think he has a good shot. Uh, so if you're asking my opinion, I, I I didn't see enough out of Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask. And, you know, granted, you know, we didn't get to see much uh, of the open portions of practice and we didn't get to see a lot of running from the quarterbacks in the spring game. But I just I, I think just by not being wowed so far by Felipe Franks or Kyle Trask and seeing as Emory Jones is the best fit, but he does need the experience. I think there will come a point in the season where I, I don't want to necessarily call it frustration from the coaching staff. But, you know, and the weird thing is record plays in this, too. So it's also according to 
you know, what, what the Gators are playing for at, at some heart, some point uh, in the season, but maybe after the Georgia game. And, you know, we'll see. I expect that to be a loss, and you're probably not winning the SEC East after you lose to Georgia. I can see where you have these home games against Missouri and South Carolina where you're going to warm up Emory Jones, get him in the game uh, in those type of situations and with a friendly confines of the swamp. Uh, if you're coming off of a loss to Georgia, I can see Emory Jones after the Georgia game. And you got Missouri that, that next week. We'll see what kind of team Missouri is. But that might be the point where we see the insertion of Emory Jones as a starting quarterback. Yeah, you know, well, all of this, I think, sort of hinges. I mean, you're talking about performance-based um, changing of quarterbacks and things like that. But, you know, yeah. Florida hasn't had a starting quarterback start and finish a season since, I think, 2009. So, History would be on the side of there will probably be more than one quarterback. That's certainly for sure. Uh, Mullen does not have a history, I don't think, of necessarily switching quarterbacks back and forth an awful lot. He's not like Spurrier where he's going to have three bad series and rip somebody out. So I do think there will be some patience with whoever he goes with. It's a little bit early to talk about who that's going to be because mm -hmm. if they do bring in a graduate transfer, somebody like Joe Burrow or somebody else, then obviously the person they bring in, unlike last year's regime, I think the person that they bring in will have the, have the inside track to the starting job if they decide to do that you know and, and a couple maybe maybe a month ago i said i thought felipe franks would start the year and if that's what i think then yeah i think emory jones is going to get some time halfway through the season just based on a lot of the things you said i mean i think you know based on based on past tape based on past performance based on past history i'm not a, i'm not anticipating that either franks or trask are going to light the world on fire doesn't mean that Florida won't be able to pull out some closer games. I mean, you know, three or four points in either direction last year changes the whole complexion of the season. However, those three or four point games were all at home, or I guess one point games were all at home last year, and those games are going to be on the road. So, but the, the schedule is a little bit easier. You can you can see a scenario where Florida's four zero after the Tennessee game, mm -hmm. and you know you're you're at a place where. You, you're starting to build some momentum with recruits and you don't want to upset the apple cart. If I had to, if I had to bet on it, I would bet that Emory Jones is going to play and play a significant amount. Um, I would bet that he starts towards the end of the year. And I would bet that, you know, sort of what you said after the Georgia game, I certainly don't think that you would put him in for that game. And I actually think if you think Emory Jones is the best quarterback, if you think you're going to play him, come Georgia, come Missouri, come Florida State, then I'm of the mind that you need to get him in early because those are the games where he can really get his feet wet and, and be a little bit more effective. You know, it kind of could be that, and I don't know if Florida has this luxury. I, I, right now, I don't think they do. But kind of the the Alabama model of, you know, the couple years they, they would start a quarterback in game one and then the, the, the second quarterback, you know, the, the, the guy that you thought would – Eventually, when the job would come in, you know, the, the, after the first couple of drives or the second quarter, the second half of that game, and then end up taking over and being the quarterback for the rest of the year. I don't know if I see that scenario since, you know, Bama has the tradition of really kind of opening up with those neutral side big games. Uh, and and you know, they have the talent to, to surround the quarterback to do that and, and get away with it. Florida's, Florida's open up with Charleston Southern, and I don't know if we'll see a bad performance from Felipe Franks or Kyle Trask to necessarily lend itself to you know, them getting pulled. And if, if one gets pulled, they probably get pulled for the other before Emory comes in. Um, you know, so it's weird. And, and, and as you said, and you pointed out, I'm basing more of this on performance. I don't want to let injuries play into it, but that definitely is a huge part of it. I, I want to look at it more from a performance base. Uh, and you said, I don't think Mullen has a, a big history of, of pulling quarterbacks and switching them. But I, I do question, and, and you said, if Florida is 
4-0 after those first four games, but the offense is still not really getting it done. It's more the, the McElwain look or the Muschamp look of pulling out the games you should win, but you're pulling them out with you know, 80% of the defense, you know, taking it over and the offense still kind of chugging along. Do you, as you said, do you, do, do you upset that the chemistry and, and flow of what you have going on, or do you make the quarterback change while you still have everything to play for? I, I think you play the best player at every position. And last year, the real issue that I had with the way the quarterbacks were handled is you gave Frank's what a couple of quarters and then you decided you were going to bring in Zaire and then Zaire didn't look very good. And two games later, you're bringing in Del Rio against Kentucky. Well, are you really that confused during spring and fall camp that when you see those quarterbacks, you don't know who the first and second and third string quarterback are? I mean, you know, if, if you're just going to play musical chairs, we'll, you know, try to get a spark. I mean, that, that, that reeks of bad process. So what I would say is I think, I think we could probably anticipate seeing a package for Marie Jones and that package expanding throughout the year. And then if you get to a point where Florida's, you know, six and three, and they're sort of, you know, at a place where, you know, sort of that, that that garbage game before Florida State, you can imagine a scenario, especially if the quarter if the starting quarterback is a little bit nicked, where you'd say, okay, in this game, since we're playing somebody who's basically a cupcake, I think it's Idaho this year. Yeah. Um, you know, you're playing somebody who's basically a cupcake. You bring in the guy who's the future, and that I think helps sell the program to recruits as well down the line. That hey, if you're the best player and you're a true freshman, we're still going to play you. Seniority doesn't matter. Performance matters, and so I think that's important. So that's sort of what if he doesn't start day one then I actually think that's probably the best opportunity for Florida to only have one quarterback next year is if Emory Jones starts against Charleston Southern. Because I do think that if they decide to go with him, that at that point, and this was what I said last year about Franks, is once you've decided to go with him, you got to go with him. You can't just pull him out in game four because he's not performing. I mean, at that point, you got to go, all right, we decided we were going to take our lumps. Now let's take our lumps and build for next year um, rather than going back and forth and destroying somebody's confidence. Yeah, so a couple of comments. We got some comments on this one when I when I posted what the episode was going to be about tonight. And uh, Patrioski uh, at Key TGC, uh, he says, we need a capable quarterback, not a committee. That said, the quarterback that starts the season may well not be the quarterback at any other point in time for a variety of reasons. Injury, ineffectiveness, uh, ineffectiveness etc. Uh, Robert Kraft says, unless we get a certain transfer, yes, multiple quarterbacks will be used un- uh, early until Jones takes over. The uh, Swamp 11 says, if Grimes and Jefferson get cleared, you play Jones. The other two quarterbacks do not bring anything to the table that, that he doesn't. I think he brings more. Uh, well, that is kind of interesting. You know, we got the report last week that Shea Patterson and Michigan's going to be eligible. Uh, that opens the door likely for Van Jefferson to get his clearance as well. Uh, and uh, as well for Trayvon Grimes, they're kind of uh, NCAA new rules that they kind of threw in. It uh, looks like they're kind of bringing back the, the hardship part of it, the, the well-being of the student athlete uh, for a one-time transfer. This would be his. So it looks like the door could be open for Grimes as well uh, to get to likely be um, you know, deemed eligible by the NCAA. So that is a good point. You start adding more weapons to this offense. And, you know, we didn't get to see him too much in the spring uh, together. Uh, but from all uh, accounts that, you know, those were the two best receivers Florida has uh, to go along with the playmaker of Kadarius Tony uh, and Tyree Cleveland as well. We know, we know he just needs to be a little more consistent and more healthy. But that's pretty, you know, four receivers Florida can do a lot of things with in the depth that running back. 
So does the, would that play into the decision of starting a young quarterback by surrounding him with all the weapons that Florida seems, seems to have? No, I don't think so. I think you play the best player. I mean, the guy who performs the best in camp is the guy who needs to play. Because if you don't do that, then you lose credibility with the other players in the on the team. Now, if Emory Jones comes out and is definitively the best player in the in the fall, then yeah, he needs to play. If he comes out and he's you know below the level of Franks or Trask, then he shouldn't play. I think you need to play the best player because the best player is going to put those playmakers in a position where they're getting the ball. Now we can have an argument about who the best player is, and I think that's one of the things that we'll probably be doing well throughout the season. But that's that's at the end of the day, you can't say, oh, this is my highest ranked recruit. Oh, this is my first big recruit. You know, I need to show I'll play true freshmen. I mean, all those things are ancillary benefits. At the end of the day, the guys on the team know who the best guy is. And so you're going to divide the team if you start playing somebody that that hasn't been the best player in camp. And so to me, that's what you have to do is you have to play the best player. The other thing is, is that, you know, Jefferson has a pretty decent history at Ole Miss. Um, Tyree Cleveland has certainly made some big plays at Florida. Tony on some bubble screens last year mm-hmm. showed, showed some promise, but there's a lot of assumptions going on in terms yeah. of how good these playmakers are. And, you know, th- there's also been some discussion about route trees during the spring game and how that isn't something that's necessarily um, been seen over the last three years. And, and you know, so um, I think a combination of both hopefully better a better offensive game plan and then also better players is going to show some offensive improvement but we got to see that this isn't something where grimes is coming in after having lit it up at ohio state last year and he's transferring it's he's he didn't play at ohio state last year and now he's uh or at least not much and now he's not you know, now he's coming to Florida with basically a blank slate. It doesn't mean that he isn't a highly ranked recruit. It doesn't mean he's not a talented guy. And certainly in spring camp, he seemed to be one of those guys that people were buzzing about. But we've had people buzzing about spring camp for the last three years, and the offense has been putrid. So until that potential shows on the field, I'm not sure you can necessarily count on it. You hope, but I don't know. I don't know that you can say, oh, we've got the best wide receiver core. I just, you know, maybe yeah. from a potential perspective, but, you know, we just won't know until we see it on the field. Yep, and uh, zero halftime adjustments at Gator Cowboy Fan says, no, pick one guy and let's roll. You have two quarterbacks, you have none. Mullen has to figure this out by game one. Feelings be damned. So uh, pretty straight to the point there, Will. Yeah, I, I don't agree with that. I, I think you and I have talked a little bit about having three guys split reps in camp becomes a problem. Yeah. But, you know, you, you if you don't have a definitive guy who's better, you have to have both of them prepared, especially because one of them might get injured based on based on history. So you need those guys ready. You need them to get the reps, and you need them to be competing. Just like you wouldn't say, oh, we need a left tackle. We should only play the left tackle who's slightly ahead coming out of the spring because you know we don't want to confuse everybody about who our left tackle is going to be. And it's the same thing with the quarterback. I mean, if, you, if one of them is definitively better, then yeah, you give them first-team reps. But if you don't have someone who's definitively better, I think competition is good. Yeah, and I also think uh, I want to go because, Will, you know, you said play the guy who's definitively better. Um, But just say Franks or Trask are kind of even, and they're barely better than Emory Jones. Do you let Emory Jones grow within the offense during the season, or do you still play the better player? I think you play the better player. Yeah. I mean, you know, you you can't – I mean, now, I guess potential does come into what that – what the better player is. I mean, somebody who's had, you know, whatever, 200 throws last year 
is he going to grow at the same rate as someone else? And maybe, maybe that means that Emory Jones is a better player six weeks in mm-hmm. if he plays those first six weeks than he is if you bring him in in week six. So you do have to make those sort of calculations. But at the end of the day, they're not seniors. I mean, this isn't a matter of playing Del Rio and he's going to be gone. This is <laughs> These are redshirt <laughs> sophomores. So if they're better players, I mean, they got three years of eligibility left. Why do you have them there if you're going to be scared to put them on the field? And you can't, you can't, can't say compete, 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 and say competition is the most important thing and then reward someone based purely on potential just yeah. because it's close. You got to give the guy who's the best player the opportunity to play on the field. I mean, that's just the way you, I mean, and to be honest, that's, that's good for somebody like Jones. If he's slightly behind, well, you got to get ahead and, and, you know, you're going to have to work harder and you're going to have to put in more time and you're going to have to be more diligent if that's the case, or you'll fall behind even more. And and that's fine. I mean, it's, or not fine, but it's, you know, it's what will happen. I, I think at the end of the day, competition makes people better. Iron sharpens iron. Right. And so if you've got someone who's slightly ahead, you play them. Maybe we get to the point, and I've joked about this before, but you know, it's also not a joke. Is you actually start blowing teams out that you're supposed to be blowing out, and when you play Charleston Southern, and you get up by four touchdowns, you can get Emory Jones some game experience. While it's not the same as you playing the first snap of an SEC game and the crowd's roaring, you know, it's still a chance for a young guy to get the experience that he doesn't have. You have Kentucky, who you can blow out, but, you know, there's been some close games uh, in recent years. You got Colorado State, who is not a cupcake Power 5 opponent. Uh, you know, not a uh, they're not a Charleston Southern or an Idaho that you have later in the season. So, but you know that's a team Florida should handle given the talent gap there. So maybe there are times in the season where we got to see the Urban Meyer youngsters play when in blowouts, and the Steve Spurrier teams with the youngsters got to come out and play in blowouts. That's something Florida hasn't had the ability to do under Muschamp and McElwain. The, the cupcakes that should have been easy were fourth quarter overtime games that should have not, not been. And you're fighting tooth and nail just to win those games. But maybe there comes a point in time now with what we hope is an offensive resurgence that you get some young guys some playing time. Uh, you know, as, as serious as it may not be, it still helps uh, when you can you know count when you count when you can count live game snaps. Yeah, I think we need to be a little bit careful here too in that we saw Emory Jones playing against second and third team units. I mean, you know, there were some touchdown passes against guys who are not going to see the field on the defensive side of the ball or at least if they do see the field it'll probably be a pro- it'll it'll indicate there's a problem on the defensive side of the ball with health. Um and so, you know, when when we when we sort of process the spring game, I think we process it as Emory Jones is really, really close. I think we heard that he was really progressing in some of the practices towards the end of the spring. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you put those two together and say, Oh, by the time the fall comes, he's going to be at that level. Um, I don't know whether that's true or not. And so we do need to take into context where those guys were playing against whom they were playing and and that sort of thing. Um, You know, I, Bill brought up about a month ago, maybe that that Mullen redshirts his quarterbacks. Like that's his history, and so again, I think I go back to process. That if the process is that Emory isn't ready yet, then maybe you redshirt him, and you've got Trask and Franks battling for the spot, and you know you're switching between those guys, and and the fan base isn't necessarily happy with that, and they're screaming for the third string quarterback. <laughs> but you know, if he's not ready, he's not ready, and you don't want to bring him in in that case. So I, I think more than anything, it's a matter of is the player the best player to put on the field? If he is, I think you play him. You play him as a true freshman, and you'll live through some of the mistakes. But uh, but if he's not the best player, you, you can't put him out there. All right, let's move on, Will, to uh, 
the the next question here from Rob and it's at and I'm gonna guess here, but it's, it looks like damn you links us. So <laughs> that's what his Twitter name looks like. So hopefully I got that right. Uh it goes, what is more important this year? And you and I kind of uh brushed on this topic just a little bit, but what is more important this year? A huge recruiting class or a significant improvement on the offense? Uh and I think you and I will probably differ a little here, but I say for this year. I'm going with the improvement on offense, and I think that will make Gator fans feel better than a top recruiting class uh, in year one. The feel would be we got the right coach that he took the same roster in just one season. He had a major turnaround on that side of the ball that has you know ailed Florida for so long. It could mean that he took the quarterbacks that many of us don't believe in, had success with them, took advantage of what we think uh, the Gators have at the skill positions, also, he's turned an offensive line into a positive and not a negative in tandem with the quarterback. You know, fixing this offense would really kind of just speak to me because there's so much wrong with it and has been for quite some time. So that, in turn, could speak to recruits that Mullen was able you know, to come in, change for the better, and just add his resume, just add to his resume of being a guy that can just flat out coach. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that they are connected. Yeah. That that if if Florida comes out and the offense looks just as bad as it has and it's like bottom hundred again or it's you know low hundreds, you know hundred and fifth whatever it's been the last three years, then obviously that doesn't speak real well to a coach who's trying to sell a vision about turning around an offense. So I do think that there's a need for an offensive improvement, and that's what that was one that's been one of the main criticisms about some of the articles I've written recently is that Mullen's gonna have to show it on the field in order to convince the recruits to come that after eight or nine years of offensive futility, there is really a there is a need to show people you can't just say you're gonna do it. And 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 in some cases there is some validity to that. But I would again point to process. And you look at Nick Saban, and he went seven and six in his first year at Alabama. Look at Kirby Smart, he went eight and five in his first year at Georgia. And then that second year, there was a big jump for both of those guys, and it was bolstered by a huge recruiting class. And that's, you know, that's the reality is that those guys brought in elite guys who then helped build the program into what it's into what it's become. Now for Smart, you know, obviously just had his second year, but just played for a national championship. And Saban, I think in his second year was playing Florida in the SEC championship game and got beat by Tebow. So, um, you know, again, it's a, it's a process. And the question that I have is always, is your process sound? And so to me, a huge recruiting class indicates that you are going to be able to bring in elite athletes, regardless of what you see on the field, which means you're always going to have elite athletes on the field, which means you're going to win some games you wouldn't have. You don't necessarily have to out scheme everybody if you got better players on the field. And so, um, you know, Florida right now has better players on the field than probably all but 15, 15 teams in the country. So for the most part, the offense should be functional just based on the guys they have in the field. Um, you know, the, there's this perception that because McIlwain wasn't as good a recruiter as Urban Meyer or Will Muschamp or Ron Zook, that he wasn't that he wasn't bringing in good players. And I don't think that's the case at all. He just wasn't bringing in elite level talent and the amount of elite level talent as those other three coaches. And so, to me, the recruiting indicates that you're going to that you're going to be able to compete with those big boys. And then the coaching should take over at that point. If you're waiting for the coaching to take over, that can be a little bit concerning. But again, there, there's more than one way to build a program. And uh, and the question is, how are you actually going to do that? Yeah, and I probably took the easy way out by saying an improvement on offense will bring the recruits. <laughs> and that does seem to be the thought. But, you know, that kind of goes in itself when 
lending itself in a way to the the first half of Jim McElwain's first year. And, you know, it wasn't, don't get me wrong, the offense wasn't lighting the world on fire. But when you had the the fourth quarter game against Tennessee and then you had the game against Ole Miss the next week, you know, recruits were, you know, kind of looking at Florida in a very positive light. And there was a lot of reports out there. Recruits kind of want to flocking, start flocking to Gainesville. And then it all come to a crashing halt uh, not long after that. But that that got Florida in the limelight. The Florida was undefeated. Florida was on top of the world. They showed some promise on offense. And that's really all it took was to kind of show that promise is to get, to start getting recruits to take notice. So, uh, you know, I guess me taking the offense and then saying that translates to recruiting kind of, lends itself to both answers there. But, you know, I, I don't think there's a wrong answer there. Uh, and, you know, and what's more important, uh, as you said, you know, and, and we've, you know, had the motto stars matter and you have the, the recruiting class after, after year one that goes into year two and it looks like it's uh, on, on top and you can rely on that and you can bring the elites in and, and start building your roster that way. Then, you know, that, that looks good as well. But, uh, I, I do think uh, most Gator fans, I don't think, take recruiting as serious as we do uh, at some point. So I think on the surface, a lot of them look at, you know, just what what happens on the field itself. And I think once a lot of fans see improvement on offense, they'll think that the University of Florida is in good hands with Dan Mullen. Sure. Well, I mean, the results on the field are what matters. The que- the question is how do you how do you, the question is how do you get there? And so our argument is usually that the way you get there isn't what happens in fall camp when you're tackling. It's not the scheme you put out there on Saturdays. It's usually did you get the best players? And, and are the best players then out there? And if the best players are out there, well, now you teach them to tackle, you teach them the schemes and all that sort of stuff. And it turns out that when you're really fast, you can get away with a mistake that somebody else can't. Um, but I do think this goes back to the first question. It's interesting that you mentioned McElwain's first year. Greer's a really good quarterback. I mean, a lot of people don't like Greer because of the way he left Florida and sort of the back and forth with him and the program and that sort of stuff. But Greer's a really good quarterback. He was a really good quarterback in high school. He was a pretty good quarterback at Florida. We all know what the offense turned into when Greer wasn't there. Like, so the offense looked functional with a quarterback who was pretty good and looked just awful basically from then on. And then he goes to West Virginia and he lights it up. So I, I think you know the fact that you're saying that recruits were really, really interested in Florida after that Ole Miss game is a reflection of the fact that recruits went, "Wow, I could play with Will Greer." Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was a highly rated quarterback. Who's a highly rated quarterback? So, if you can generate the same phenomenon with one of these quarterbacks this year, you should get the same effect. Um, you know, and and so that's kind of what you're saying. However, I would I would caution people that granted not a PED suspension, but somebody plays well for six games and then they get injured. Well, you're going to have the same effect. Mm-hmm. Oh, it really got built up, and everybody's like, the recruits are going to come, the recruits are going to come, and then somebody blows out a knee or or hurts a shoulder or something like that. The offense looks bad again, and then you don't have the same close. I, I think it's a bad idea to rely upon performance on the field to be the sole thing that gets you recruits. I think you got to be able to sell a vision. You got to be able to sell a process. You got to say, this is how I'm going to get you to the NFL. Um, I think you got to say, this is, this is what your life's going to be like when you're on campus. And and there's a skill to doing that. Um, some people might say that there's some, uh, I mean, based on what we've learned from college basketball, there might also be some extracurricular activity <laughs> for some of these programs. And, and you, know, you certainly Ole Miss. Ole Miss. <laughs> well, that's the one that got caught. I think yeah. there's some other programs that are, that are ranked up high who might have some questions about those, but, but, uh, you know, again, I, I think 
it's it's a chicken and the egg thing. I think it's yeah. important that a coach can sell vision on the recruiting trail. Um, I'm always going to say recruiting is more important because I do think that having more talent means that you have a larger margin for error. And so the larger the margin for error, then the better off you're going to be during the season. But that doesn't mean that player development isn't important. It doesn't mean that a good offensive showing, and we've said it multiple times, optics matter. And so the optics in year one are going to matter because more than wins and losses next year, it's going to be because that will impact the recruiting class. But if you don't have a solid foundation in the recruiting class to start with, then you're sort of playing catch up. And that's, and that's I think, most people's concern when they look at the recruiting and where it stands right now. Talking about recruiting, we had a question from Falcons Fury. Uh, he says, this question doesn't have a perfect answer, but what makes Kirby so much better than Mullen? You would think with all his experience, he would have the upper hand in some ways. And, you know, I think going back and looking at it, Kirby was – able to recruit the same kids to Georgia that he was recruiting at Alabama already had some established relationships starting there. Uh, He was known as a great recruiter at Alabama more so than we ever heard about Mullen at Florida as an assistant and probably even more than a head coach at Mississippi state. So, you know, Mullen had been away uh, from the state of Florida and not even really recruiting the same type of athlete at Mississippi state as he, as he now is at Florida. Uh, wasn't recruiting the state of Florida heavy, especially for the top prospects, you know, to, to get to go to Mississippi State. So I think it was just easier for Kirby Smart to slide into an already talent-rich state that was already recruiting very well as a program under the previous staff. So I think take all of his existing relationships and apply it to Georgia. I think that's why Kirby Smart got gets off to a fast start in recruiting at Georgia. Sure. I mean, he also picked the job. Yeah. I mean, there were other opportunities that came to Kirby Smart, and he decided to say no because he got to stay with Saban. He built trust with Saban. He learned from Saban as opposed to somebody like Lane Kiffin who spent a couple of years under Saban and certainly probably learned some things, but um, you know, probably didn't get the same breadth of knowledge that Kirby Smart did. I mean, Kirby Smart helped build that program. And so when he comes to Georgia, he can say, look, I helped build that program at Alabama. It was not a two-year stop. It was the, the def, you know, Saban was a defensive coordinator. I learned from him, come play for me and I'll get you to the NFL. That's a pretty solid sell. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I think, I think staying at Alabama for a really long time beyond just the relationships, I think you get the, the shine from Saban. I think Muschamp got that too, at least to start with. Mm-hmm. And especially on the defensive side of the ball, he was able to do that. On the offensive side of the ball, obviously they struggled, but they also had multiple hiccups with offensive coordinators and all sorts of other stuff. I, I think what it, re- what it really boils down to is three guys, Eason, Fromm, and Fields. <laughs> and so if you bring in an elite quarterback and you bring in elite recruits everywhere else, you're going to have a good team. And you look at where Florida's been. I mean, Driscoll was a – they brought in Driscoll and Brissett that first year for, for Muschamp, and after that, there was nobody the next year and they didn't bring in a blue chip quarterback for a really long time. And until I think, until I think career and, and, you know, having those two in there, scaring away other recruits to come in and compete, or at least not being able to recruit those guys. Cause again, no one's scared to come to Georgia. And I actually think that's one of the things that makes him a good recruiter too. When Eason went out and Fromm played well, Fromm stayed in best player is going to be on the field. I don't care who it is. You come here, you're going to compete. If you're the best, you're going to the NFL. And that's a pretty solid sell for somebody who thinks he's going to go to the NFL. So um, to me, the stability of being with Saban and then being able to make that sale along with what you said with the relationships, I do think that matters. And 
I think it matters that they're going after the same same level of recruits. And I think it matters that the only in-state school is Georgia Tech. That, that matters a whole lot. That's why I won't I won't I want Georgia Tech to hire Lane Kiffin. Fire <laughs> Paul Johnson, get that ancient offense out of there that nobody wants to go play for and get them some in-state competition. <laughs> and I hit one of your soapboxes there, didn't I? So. Oh man, that's a uh, Georgia Tech is they're they're killing everybody by letting Georgia just run that state. Well, I mean, that state has a ton of talent. Yeah. And so if you can keep it in state, you know, as opposed to like Mississippi State, where you've got to go to places like Georgia and Tennessee and Alabama to bring in guys. And so you are competing with those guys. But like you said, you're not necessarily competing for, for the five-star guys that go to Georgia and Alabama and, and, and Tennessee. You're competing for maybe the high-level three-star guys and a couple of four-stars every once in a while who want to stay home. But, uh, you know, you go to Georgia, there's talent everywhere. You dip into North Florida, there's talent there too. And if every once in a while you go to South Florida and grab somebody, hey, that's yeah. just gravy. But you, know, you drop somebody in the middle of that hotbed who can say, I worked for a guy who won a national championship at LSU, who won multiple national championships at Alabama, and who sent all these guys to the NFL. And I did it for 10 years. Um, you know, I, I just think it's an easy sell for, uh, for, for somebody like Smart. Yeah, and you know, to... to- to bring it back around full circle, you know, I think Mullen has an easy sale as far as location, as we're talking uh, like Georgia, but only because, you know, popu- the population uh, of the state, uh, as far as recruits go, Florida dominates. Florida always produces the most. Uh, you can go down South Florida. Florida's got to get better up in North Florida where they've kind of let, you know, sign of central North Florida where they've kind of let that, that, that hold slip uh, in recent years. Uh, Miami can come up here to Jacksonville and get kids now, and that usually that used to not happen. Uh, so Mullen's got to get that come, come, to come back around. Uh, you know, I think, uh, of course, the, uh, we've talked about it in the last couple of weeks, and especially this episode, too, the optics of the offense. But as far as being in the location, you know, uh, Bill came I'm on his show every Tuesday, and he goes, when Florida's right, it, it may be the best job in America. And you have where you're at, where you're located. Um, you play in the SEC, you can recruit from Florida, you can recruit from Georgia, you can recruit nationwide. So where things are right, Mullen's in a great place to get it right and stay right. Yeah, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of excuses to not be able to recruit to the University of Florida. I think, you know, people who are people who will indicate that the program is in the worst place it's been in eight years, maybe that's true. Um, it lends but- itself to a quick turnaround, though. Well, it should, and but again, that that boils down to getting the players in, and and the other thing is, is that the speed of your turnaround a lot of times depends on the quality of your competition. You know, if if Florida was in the Big Twelve, it would be a much quicker turnaround than being in the SEC with Saban and Smart, and that's the reality. So you know, you, you look and say, well, what's the goal? If the goal is a is to eventually overtake those two guys, well, maybe it takes four or five years to do that. The question I have is whether the fan base at Florida is going to have the patience to do that, and you know. It's doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like Mullen has the patience to do that. He's 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 pretty pretty uh, pretty ambitious about his goals at, at Florida. And so if you're going to be ambitious like that, then you're going to have to hit some metrics that are hard to hit. You can't just say, "Well, we didn't hit it because Kirby and and uh, and Nick are doing a good job." You're going to have to hit them because in order to compete with them, you got to hit those metrics. And the starting point, Will, is honestly, you're. The starting point second in the East right now. And you don't play Auburn on a continual basis. You don't play Texas A&M, schools that recruit near what Florida has recruited uh, in, the, in the past few years. Georgia's in your division has only clearly recruited better. You know, Tennessee's close as well, but Florida's own Tennessee. So that's kind of you know, not a really point of contention there. 
Florida's on Tennessee uh, on the field. You're looking at, you know, you're looking at the best, second best team in the East. You don't have to play Alabama every year. You don't have to play Auburn every year. You don't have to play Texas A&M every year. And those are the teams on the other side of the division and LSU as well. You put, you play them every year. That's the only team out of the West that recruits on par with you or just a little bit better in recent years um, that you have to play every year that is clearly better than you besides Georgia. Yeah, I think in conference, in conference, FSU's up there as well. But. Yeah, well, I, th- I think last year you talked a little bit about uh, before the season started. Would you rather win the East or would you ba- rather beat FSU? <laughs> yeah. And and under no circumstances did we think we were going to get neither. But, <laughs> but but I do think that's a relevant question. I think when you're talking about recruiting and you're talking about winning, leading to recruiting and optics leading to recruiting, Florida State is the school you're looking at. That that you know pulling a kid out of pulling a kid out of Athens, Georgia, and saying, "Oh, come play in Gainesville." That's going to be a hard sell right now. Pulling a kid out of Lake City and telling him come to Gainesville instead of coming to coming to Florida State, I think is a much easier sell if you're having some success or at least playing close, and you can right. say, "Hey, come help us." And and I think you know last year what we wanted to see was progress. We wanted to see that the offense was not as bad as it was. We wanted to see people getting better. We wanted to see things getting better throughout the year. I don't think any of us were sitting there saying, oh, we're going to be 11-1 and going to that game against Florida State. But I think we expected that there was going to be a chance to beat Florida State and that we were building up to that, and that just didn't happen. And so I think the same thing can be said for this year, that the optics are less, is the offense firing right out of the gate? And, you know, you look at that Greer season, the offense was firing against Old Miss, but was sputtering by the time they got to Florida State. I think it's probably more, it's probably okay for the offense to sputter early on against Mississippi State, against LSU, things like that. But it needs to be humming by the time you get to Florida State if you're talking about recruits. And not only that, hey, Florida State's in the same situation. They got a new head coach too, so – yeah, it's an opportunity to take advantage of that. It really is. If Florida shows performance on the field much, much better than Florida State, you can envision a scenario where that would make a difference. But, you know, Taggart's done a pretty decent job of bringing in blue-chip guys thus far, at least from a verbal perspective. We'll see whether he can hold on to them come National Signing Day. But um, if he continues that trend, Florida State's could be pretty pretty decent. Yeah. All right, well, uh, that's it for the questions uh, that we got. But uh, every week we take a look at your most recent article that you've put up on readandreaction.com. And this week it was titled, What Do the Florida Gators, Florida Gators Need to Do? Okay, what do the Florida Gators need to do to retake the SEC? And, uh, you know, a lot of it, and a lot of it was based on recruiting there. Uh, but, uh, of course, we've kind of hit on it so far uh, in this episode. But uh, to retake the SEC, you got to get past Alabama and Georgia. Yeah. Well, I mean, I. I'm actually proud of this one. It took an awful lot of time to compile the information. But what I did was I looked at guys, I looked at teams who finished the top three. So number one, number two, number three, from 2007 to 2017 in the SEC. So the first thing that's interesting is that the average finish for teams (laughs) that that are the highest ranked SEC team is 1.3. So basically, if you win the SEC... You're probably winning the national championship. <laughs> so that's uh, 1.3 in the uh, AP poll? Oh, I'm sorry. It's 1.18, actually, if you include okay. Alabama. I took Alabama out just to see what that was. So, yeah, okay. in the AP poll, the final rank is 1.18. So <laughs> the, the worst finish by an SEC team in the last 11 years is second. <laughs> so that's what you're competing with. For now, the when team you that wins the SEC, right? For the team that wins the SEC, or for the team that ends up the season the highest ranked. So, yeah. like Alabama last year didn't win the SEC, but they were the highest ranked gotcha. team at the end of the year when the AP poll came out. Yeah. And that's happened a couple of times where Alabama's won the national championship but didn't win the conference. So, what I'm going with is just the final AP rank after all of the bowls are over. So, if you look at that, 
Um, the average for the first place team was 1.18. The average for the second place team was 5.9. And the average for the third team was 11.4. So basically mm -hmm. to be to be the third best team in the SEC, you almost have to be top 10. And, you know, that shouldn't surprise any of us. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we, you know, the SEC's usually got three or four teams in the top 10. Um, it surprised me a little bit that the second place team is that close, that it's, you know, a top six team. Um, and then I started looking at the recruiting rankings for all of those teams. And if you look at the average, um, you know, for each year, um, basically the average rank for the first place teams was 4.8 from a national recruiting perspective. The average conference was 2.3. So Bill's talked about that a lot, that, that yeah. you need to be top three in the conference to win. And that's true. If you omit Alabama from this, it does drop that considerably because Alabama is always first place, but we're competing with Alabama. So you really like cherry picking that and pulling them out. didn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, you know, so the what it shows is even more in the SEC, you have to be top three. Yeah, there's no there's no break. There's no break. You need to have guys in in the background. You look at you look at the five star recruits. They average three point one five star recruits per year for those teams that finish first. And in fact, when you look at there's actually a pretty decent correlation between five star recruits and winning. The the only team that really didn't have any five star recruits and did decent in the sec was mississippi state when dak prescott was the was the quarterback there and then you look at the lowest ranked team overall from a recruiting perspective to to finish up as the highest ranked team was auburn and they had a 14.8 average recruiting ranking but obviously they had cam newton yeah. And so, and he also came in as a four-star candidate, which is weird because he was coming from a junior college, right. but he was a five-star out of high school. So how do you, how do you weigh all that sort of stuff? So yeah, there's a correlation between elite talent and, and winning. And it doesn't mean, and I think this is where people get hung up. You can look at an outlier and say, well, Auburn just averaged top 15. So it can be done. It's like, yes, it can be done, but 11, but Right, but seven of the eleven years that I looked at, Alabama was the best team in the SEC at the end of the year, and I think there's six national championships in there. So, if you want to be that, then then the the recruiting gauntlet has been established. And the thing is, in the years where Alabama finished second or third, you can see there was turnover in the quarterback. So they went from they went from McElroy to McCarron, or they went from McCarron to. Uh, I can't remember who came in after McCarron, but they, they went to a new quarterback and that's when they lost a couple of games and there were other teams that were able to step in. Well, there's another team that's ready to step in with all these same recruiting metrics and that's Georgia. And Georgia has those same recruiting metrics, if not better than, than, than Alabama. And if you look at the last four years for a team like Georgia, they have a lot <laughs> of, they have a lot of high level recruits. They've got, they've averaged 3.8, five stars over the last four years. Alabama's averaged 4.3. They've averaged 13.8, four stars and Alabama's averaged 14.5. And if you look at Florida, they've averaged 0.55 stars and 8.5 four stars. So total blue chip since when? That's since that's 2005 to 2018. Okay. So that includes Mullen's first class. Yeah, a full cycle. Yeah, and it also includes all of McIlwain's. And McIlwain's first cycle was obviously it had a couple of five stars, which is why that number isn't zero. But that first class was was filled up with a lot of three stars to sort of build up the ranking overall. Um, anyway, the whole point is that you can't blame Mullen for the recruiting that happened before him. But what you can do is you can look at it and say, 
based on what he's been given, what does he need to do over the next couple of years to get Florida to a point where they can compete consistently with Alabama and Georgia? And I said last week that you know he needs top three classes if he wants to compete with those guys. And that's what I really found. If you look at the average rating from a 24-7 sports composite, so they rank things like you know 90.0, 91.0, mm-hmm. and basically 90 is right around the four-star, five-star um cutoff yeah. so typically if you get a 90.0 that would be a four that would be a five star or a, i'm sorry that'd be a uh if you get an 89 that'd be like a a, a three star if you get a 90 that'd be a four star and so right at that three star four star barrier is where you start to see teams um, transition from a team that can compete to a team that can't and in the sec it's actually a little bit higher so the team that won the first got first place in the sec or got the highest ranking in the sec was at 91.1 Second was 89.7, and third was 88.9 in terms of those ratings. If you look at where Florida is right now, they're at 88.9. So when you say first, or when you say second in the East behind Alabama and Georgia, that's a reasonable expectation for Florida this year based on the talent that they have from a recruiting perspective. But if they want to get in that upper echelon, you know, obviously some of the poorer recruiting classes for McElwain are going to come off the books. And if Mullen can replace those with with uh, with better recruiting classes, then you're going to see that number go up. But to get up to 91 over the next two years, he's going to have to have two top three classes. And so that doesn't mean Florida won't be able to win the SEC. That doesn't mean they won't be able to compete. But it does mean that to be able to compete consistently in year three of Dan Mullen, that's what he's going to have to have. Yeah, that, that's kind of what we want to. That doesn't mean like Auburn, you can't one out of every you know for few years. Uh, compete for the the, the SEC or, or or college football playoff spot. Um, we saw Auburn go to the SEC championship game this year uh, and get beat by Georgia. Um, you know, but they they had a shot uh, at, by not recruiting as well as Alabama and Georgia. So I think the question goes to Will. You know, we uh, you, you threw out the numbers. We have numbers, but do we believe Dan Mullen is a good enough coach to reach the national? competitor level if he doesn't reach those heights in recruiting and you know, as we said we just explained it more than likely yes if you want to do it every few years but if you want to get back to the urban meyer level and him recruiting at the top of the top and when nick saban went to alabama year two having classes near the top and keep having them near the top and that's why they're at right where they're at right now but could we see do you if he doesn't reach those heights, is Dan Mullen at least good enough to hit that mark, much like, I say, Gus Malzahn? I mean, a lot of it's going to depend on the quarterback play, right? I mean, you you look at those teams that are outliers, and they've had somebody like Dak Prescott or Cam Newton. And when you look at teams, and and even if you look at Ole Miss, when they had guys like Bo Wallace mm-hmm. and, and – uh, Chad Kelly, like those guys were good enough to, to make those teams better than maybe the talent around them was. And so, you know, if you get elite quarterback play, if you get a grad transfer to come in, if one of these guys steps up, then certainly Florida can compete. You know, Alabama has dominated recruiting ever since Saban took over, but they haven't been the highest ranked SEC team all the 11 years I looked at. It was seven of the 11. So, it is, you know, you don't just say these are the numbers and, you know, that means that Alabama is going to win. But it does mean that if I'd gone to Vegas and bet on Alabama for the last 11 years, I'd have a lot of money 
<laughs> and so when we talk about probabilities and we talk about percentages, really what we're talking about, and, and you know, this is what recruiting is too. You, you can't look at one four-star and say he delivered, so four stars are better than five. You can't look at a three-star and say he delivered, so three stars are better than fours. You have to look at the percentages and say, okay, if every year there's 2,000 three-stars, there's 300 four-stars, and there's 35 stars, and then you look at the first round of the draft and, and you've got an equal representation of all three of those. Well, that means the five stars really played better as a percentage than the four stars or the three stars. And we saw that argument on Twitter this week after the mm -hmm. NFL draft going back and forth in terms of talking about raw numbers versus talking about statistics or talking about probabilities. And that's really what I'm saying here is that in order to be a consistent competitor, which I think is what Florida wants. I mean, Florida wants a Florida fans want a program that's built to be strong and sustain long term. They don't want something where one year you go 12 and two and the next year you go two and 12. <laughs> or two and eleven because you don't get a bowl game. I mean that you know, and and that those are extremes, and obviously that hasn't happened. But you look at Muschamp's tenure; he had the four and eight year after they had gone twelve and two, yep. and then he goes seven and five, and then he's gone. You look at McElwain; he had a couple of pretty good years where he got to the SEC championship game. Obviously, there were some shortcomings with those teams, but he was able to get there. And then he has a year at four and seven, and he's gone. Well, you know, the the goal can't just be to go to win the SEC this year and the next year have everything fall apart. I mean, if you want to be Auburn, that's fine, but Gene Chizik didn't survive, <laughs> didn't survive the transition. And I think that's what might happen to Florida because of the way the expectations people have about the program. So, um, yeah, I, none of this is, I mean, we're, we're May 1st. Like I'm, I'm not worried yeah. about the recruiting class, no, but I do think that it's, worth taking a look at what do you need to do to build a program and if you build a program successfully all the other things are going to come and you can get away with with uh with shortcomings if you've got much better players than everyone and and you know i'm not necessarily sure nick saban is that much better coach than he's out there in fact he has so many more blue chip guys makes me think maybe he's not the greatest coach in the world from an x's and o's perspective Mm -hmm. but it doesn't really matter because he's got the best players on the field. I would say Kirby Smart has actually proven to not be a very good X's and O's coach. I mean, the game against Tennessee two years ago was just a debacle, letting Tennessee come back and win that game. Mm -hmm. And then and then the game against Alabama in the national championship, that can't happen. Why, why did you quit running Sonny Michelle? <laughs> well, and, and you, are a, you are a defensive guru yeah. who got beat on a second and 23 in overtime. Like... You know, there'd be some people asking questions if that if that had happened in year four. Yeah. The fact that it happened in year two means people are still willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. And, and, and it, so it had been a place Georgia hadn't been in years. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and you look at it and <laughs> for a program that's sort of been high level mediocre, I guess is the best way to describe it. Under <laughs> rate, right. I mean, hey, we'll go 11 and one, but we don't beat Florida. Hey, we'll go 10 and three and we will beat Florida. Like they could never put it together where they actually won all the games they were supposed to in one year. And and Kirby Smart was able to do that to the point where they were able to get to that championship game. And and I think also losing to Saban is probably something that people say, well, you know, that yeah. can happen. So Anyway, I'm always going to default to how how are you building from a process perspective, and I and I think um, you know recruiting is a big part of that, and I think it's very very clear that in order to win the SEC, you have to have elite level recruiting classes, and that if the expectation is is that by year three Florida is going to be playing is going to be hanging with Georgia and with Flo with Georgia and Alabama and Florida State, that 
the recruiting is going to have to be that top three range. You're not going to be able to put together classes in the seven to 10 range and compete consistently with those guys. That's where Auburn is. They're in that seven to 10 range. Mm -hmm. And I think that history is what you look for if that's where you end up consistently. Yeah. And I think that was, you know, the question I asked is Mullen good enough to, to coach, uh, to reach that national competitor level consistently. If he doesn't reach those heights of recruiting, I don't think any coaches, <laughs> kind of, it's not a shot at Dan Mullen. If you're not consistently in that top five, then I would, I, I'd question any coach having the, that, that, that consistent success of, of what we want at Florida. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things I broke down in the article I thought was fascinating was Florida has had seven, five-star five-star players drafted out of nine who were recruited from 2012 to 2015. And the two who haven't been drafted are Martez Ivy and CC Jefferson, <laughs> who will likely be drafted next year, assuming that they stay healthy and that they play halfway decently. If you look at the four-star candidates, they've had 13 drafted, but they have 47 recruited. And if you look at the three-star candidates, they had eight drafted and 59 recruited. So 13.6% of the three-stars got drafted, 27.7% of the four-stars, and 77.8% of the five-stars got drafted. And that's if we count the two who haven't had an opportunity to be drafted yet. I think that's going to be 100%. The last time Florida had a five-star recruit who was not who was not drafted was 2009 and it was someone who got kicked off the team for a domestic <laughs> violence incident, not because of performance on the field. So when you bring in five-star recruits, those guys perform to a level that gets them drafted. Now that does not mean that they become Heisman trophy winners, but they become contributors to your team. And so if you can bring in four or five-star recruits every year, well now over a four year cycle, you've got 16 guys who are regular contributors to your team and likely starters. And that's a big deal. You can just rely, you can pencil those guys in as being starters and then supplement them with four stars and three stars as those guys earn playing time. And that really makes a big difference. So you know, can a three-star excel? Absolutely. Can a team win, can a team overcome the talent deficit in one game when they're just three stars? Sure, it happens all the time. And you know, if the coach isn't very good, you can exploit that <laughs> when when you get out there on the field. But consistently over time, it's not something that's going to happen. Um, you know, over a ten-year period, you're going to see the teams that recruit better perform better. Well, they're probably getting tired of us talking about how we need five stars and four stars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's, 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 it's a so hard important. reality. It's so important. It really is. And the more I dive into the numbers, the more it just becomes clear that it's important. And so I don't want to gloss over it because one of the things that, you know, people expected in year three that McIlwain was going to have a jump in performance, that he was going to see progress. And if we go and look back at the numbers, we should have seen that there was going to be a drop-off based on the based on the talent that he was bringing in. Now, I'm not sure any of us should have seen a four and seven season, but I think some of us should have had tempered expectations, myself included, should yeah, yeah. have tempered expectations based on who the competition had brought in. We were sort of relying on the fact that, well, we always beat Georgia. And well, you know, and like um, you said last week, you know, when in preview in last season, we had really baked on McElwain being a pretty good game day coach. Yeah. And, you know, I, I to your point, I think that I think I was proven wrong <laughs> that that you could be a good game day coach all you want. But every but eventually you're going to start to lose some of those one score games. And when you do, if you don't have the talent to to help you out, you're going to have some problems. 
Yeah. Well, uh, what do you think you were working on for uh, your next read and reaction article? Well, so you had posted some YouTube clips about or a full game of Jalen Jones. So I'm sure there's going to yeah. be a film study of him coming up pretty soon so people can see what we've got there. Um, certainly, it was just upgraded to a four-star uh, at ESPN, and so I wanted to take a look and see and see how good he is. And then uh, I'm actually probably going to spend some time breaking down Florida State's roster. I've been pretty critical about Florida's recently. I think it'll be fun to go and take a look at the Seminoles and where they are and what we can expect from them and, and the history of some of their players. Maybe point out some of their warts. Yeah. Uh, I've been talking to Jalen Jones' father a little bit lately, and uh, they just had a rivals camp this past weekend, and he uh, looked like one of the best quarterbacks there. Uh, kind of showed out a little bit. So, uh, you know, as he keeps uh, improving at these camps and and showing uh, what he's got, uh, hey, look, maybe next year at this time we're talking about a Jones and Jones quarterback battle. <laughs> Hey man, I sure hope so. That'd be that'd be an awesome. It would be an awesome off season to be able to talk about talk about quarterbacks the way George is talking about their quarterback, where they're like, "Well, what if Fields is better than Fromm?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll take that problem." Yeah, <laughs> I, I will, is better than Jones. <laughs> I will take that problem, but um, you know, I, will, I won't say saw, which. I won't say which Jones. Yeah, well, we, you know, we saw last year with Fitzgerald that there's just an inherent risk in running uh, in running Mullen's offense, and so I think one of the things we're going to see is that that risk is going to be something that's going to have to be mitigated by numbers and having really good players to be backups. And I think that I think the ankle injury that Fitzgerald had is probably an extreme example of that. But you know, separated shoulder, uh, high ankle sprain, those sorts of things where someone's going to have to jump in for two or three games to be able to bring that running dynamic to the offense, I think is something we can anticipate. Um, Tebow's rare. I mean, he he never got hurt except for the concussion against Kentucky. Mm. I mean, he never really got hurt. That's a rare thing. I think we got a little bit spoiled by the fact that, you know, he'd, he'd jam himself into the line 14 times a game <laughs> and, and, you know, he always got back up and, you know, that's just not the way it works, um, especially as guys are getting bigger and faster and stronger. So, hey, I, competition is good. There is nothing wrong with a four-star candidate or even a three-star candidate. It's just a matter of holistically, you want to make sure that you've sort of covered your bases on each of the each of the stratas there when you're when you're building your program. Yep. All right. So, well, pretty good episode there, I think. Hey, man, we'll see whether people tune out with all the recruiting <laughs> talk. But yeah. uh, you know, it, it's 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 so important. It's it just really is for building a program, especially in this conference. Yep, yep. Uh, we're gonna try and guess it up next week. I'm uh, working on getting a guest next week, so uh, we'll see you there uh, for the next episode. Uh, talk about uh, hopefully get to someone who really, really knows what Dan Mullen did at Mississippi State and can kind of share uh, maybe his thoughts of what he heard and saw uh, through Gator Spring practice. Uh, so still working on that. I don't want to really throw it out there just yet, but that's what we're uh, looking at doing. So if not next week, maybe the week after, but definitely uh, looking at doing that soon. No, man, that'll be great. It's it's always great to have people in who 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 bring a different perspective and and can tell us some of the things we don't know. Absolutely. Uh, remember, you can find Will in his articles at readandreaction.com, and you can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening. Gators Breakdown.